You are listening to Press Church Podcast. Please enjoy this week's message. Pastor John taught a class called homiletics, which is the art of preaching. The art and science of preaching. That there is an art and science to doing this, to public speaking, to forming and building a sermon to present to a congregation. Because we've all sat in church services and listened to a preacher and thought, when is the rapture going to happen? Because it could happen right now, so I don't have to listen to the rest of this guy's sermon. You might be thinking that now. Hopefully not. There's an art and a science on how to prepare a sermon and how to study and how to build a sermon. It's Pastor John who taught me how to preach. It's Pastor Eric who taught me how to preach, showed me how to study the scripture, showed me how to build a sermon, how to land the plane on time, how to get cues from the people in the pulpits of whether they're receiving it, whether they're not. And one of the things that Pastor John always told us students is one, never turn down an opportunity to preach. Doesn't matter if there's one person in that service or there's a thousand or there's a million people, if there's an opportunity for you to preach and there's an opportunity for you to preach in front of people, what you preach is the message of the gospel. Second thing he always taught us was don't ever miss an opportunity to preach and remind people about the gospel message. And I thought it very fitting in his passing, to preach a sermon to remind us whether we've been in church all of our lives, whether we've been saved all of our lives, whether whatever, that we should always take time to remember what Jesus did for us and the gospel message. The title of my sermon today is Remember the Gospel. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 1 through 4 is a, a scripture that I quote quite frequently and will continue to quote. Verse 1, this is Paul speaking to the church in Corinth saying, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand. Verse 2, by which also you are saved. How are you saved? It's by the gospel. We saw that in verse 1. No ifs, ands, or buts, no other way around it. The gospel is what saves you. If you hold fast that word which I preach to you, unless you have believed in vain. Here is the gospel. We understand in verse 1 that he is bringing this gospel message to people. We understand in verse 2 that the way that you can be saved is through the gospel. And now Paul is going to bring the gospel message to us in verses 3 and 4. For I delivered to you first that which I also received, that Christ died for your sins according to the scriptures. Verse 4 says that he was buried in a tomb and that he's no longer buried in that tomb, but he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. That is the gospel message, the simple gospel. No other way around it. If you believe that today, then you are saved and you are part of the kingdom of God. That Christ died for your sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he rose again the third day. Confessing and believing that according to Romans 10, 9 and 10, 
brings you into salvation, brings you into the kingdom of God. You're no longer foreigners, the Bible says. You're no longer enemies. You're no longer slaves to sin. You are now slaves to God in righteousness. And you're a part of his family. And you have access to him to now call him Abba. Father, Christ died for your sins. And we know how he died. He died being hammered to a cross, nailed to a cross. And if I'm being honest, that type of death at that time was not something just designed for Jesus. It wasn't like Pontius Pilate and the high priest came together and said, let's figure out a way to torture Jesus and Jesus only. Somebody said, I got an idea. I got some, some, some sticks in the back, a big beam in the back. What if we get some nails and hammer him to that? No, you see, back in the day, that is the way that the Romans crucified and killed and exterminated many, many, many people. It's how they killed criminals. If I'm being honest, the crucifixion was done to innocent people. When they would take over a place, the Romans would move in They would kill the men, and they would either impale them or crucify them on crosses down the main highway so that when people walked into the town, they realized real quick, well, I should probably be on my best behavior in here. But this crucifixion was done and done rampantly throughout the Roman Empire. Criminals were crucified. We see that in the gospel, that Jesus is crucified in between two criminals, two thieves on the cross. We know that they were crucifying innocent men because if you study outside of the Bible and see how the disciples died, at least two of them died by crucifixion. I believe it was Andrew who died on an X-shaped cross. It was Peter who died. And he said, don't hang me upwards how my Savior died, but turn me upside down. Even worse way. So we know that they were crucifying innocent people, but there was only one of the thousands who died by crucifixion that involved an innocent man that committed no crime and that willfully, willfully went to the cross. With no objection, with no words spoken, one man goes to the cross not to endure the weight of the sin's and the crimes that he's committed, but goes to this cross willfully to endure the sins and the crimes that you've committed. As he stands before Pontius Pilate, as Pontius Pilate is trying to figure out a way to free Jesus because he knows he's an innocent man, and he's saying, are you a king? They're saying that you're a king, and he's trying to figure this out. And Jesus says, rightly so, you say that I'm a king, but for this cause I am here. 
Jesus in no way, shape, or form was ever trying to run away from the cross. He was running as fast as he could to get to the cross so that he could take on your sin and your penalty to appease the Father. You see, humanity did not just break the law of man. Jesus wasn't going to the cross because you ran a stop sign. Jesus wasn't going to the cross because of some rule or law that was established by man was broken. It was bigger than that. The God of eternity, his rules and his laws had been broken. So therefore, a God-man must come to pay the penalty for that. You see, in James chapter 4, verse 17, it's spelled out very simple for all of us if we have questions on what sin is. In verse 17 of James chapter 4, it says, Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him or her, come on women, let's have some equality here, to him or her, it is a sin. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, it is a sin. I read that scripture and I start scratching my head and thinking, well, I probably sinned a lot more than I've led on to then. I thought I was doing good. That it is established from the beginning of time that we need a Savior. We need someone who can fix and help and restore a relationship with God who God created but therefore was destroyed because mankind decided, I don't want to follow your rules. I don't want to follow your laws. I don't want to enjoy your company. I'm going to believe a lie from that vile devil. And even now, in this moment, we are still believing lies from that dumb devil who tries and whispers in your ear and whispers in my ear and says, you're not good enough. I can't believe you did that. Why do you think you can step foot in church? How dare you do this? How dare you think you're worthy for God? No, 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 because God says in Genesis chapter 3, who told you that you were naked and ashamed because I never told you that we needed a Savior to come and correct our vocabulary so we could communicate with God because he died for our sins. We must remember that Jesus died according to the Scriptures. 1 Corinthians 15, it says, Christ died for your sins according to the Scriptures. Why does it put that part in there? At that time, the Bible wasn't written. Jesus wasn't, wasn't carrying around a King James Version as he went from town to town. The scriptures that they're referencing is, is uh, the prophetic words of the prophets. The books that Moses had written, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. And throughout history... God is speaking to man and reminding them and letting them know there's a Messiah coming. There's a Savior coming. There's someone coming to take care of your sins, your faults, your failures. He's coming. And this is what he's going to look like. This is what he's going to do. This is how he's going to do it. This is why he's going to do it. 
And these people start putting the puzzle pieces together of when's he coming, where is he coming. And I'll read the most famous prophetic word from Isaiah chapter 53. I don't have this on there. You can just listen or read it later. Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness, and when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. Verse 3, he is despised. The Messiah rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Verse 4, surely he has borne our griefs, we've heard this before, and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. Verse 5, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. By his stripes we are healed. Verse 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, Jesus, the Messiah, the iniquity of us all. Verse 7, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Verse 8, he was taken from prison and from judgment. And who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he has stricken. Verse 9, and they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich at his death because he had done no violence nor was any deceit in his mouth. Listen to verse 10. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He was put to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed and he shall prolong his days. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Two more scriptures. And he shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify him, for he shall bear their iniquities. Verse 12, therefore I will divide him a portion with the great. And he shall divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death. He was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. That's what your Messiah did for you. That's what your Savior did for you when it says in the simple phrase in 1 Corinthians, Christ died for your sins according to the Scriptures. God willfully sent His Son. But not only did God willfully send His Son, whenever there's a... a any type of creature in the house, I'm usually sent in to go and take care of it. But there's one creature that me, I, I just can't get along with, and that's roaches. I hate them. It's, 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 it's just something that, uh, and luckily the Lord has a sense of humor because I clean the church every Saturday, and there's at least one to two dead roaches that I get to play Where's Waldo in the church and find. So majority of the time, if there is a roach... Don't judge me, men. Don't hate me, women. I'm sending my wife in there. I'll take care of the spiders. I'll take care of the other creatures, the mosquitoes, the bugs that are flying, uh, the mouses and the meeses and the rats and the reeses. I'll, I'll go in there. 
But you have to understand that my wife is not willfully going in there. Usually, uh, she's making fun of me not being a man uh, and, and telling me to put on one of her skirts or something as she's going to kill the roach. You see, there has to be two parties that are willing to do something. God willfully sent his son, but at the same time, God, Jesus willfully chose to go. Before the foundations of the earth, the scripture says, the lamb was already slain. It would have been one thing if God said, uh, hey Jesus, I got an idea for you. How about for the next, I don't know, 33 years you go down to earth and you become poor, uh, you give up your kingship, um, uh, you die on the cross, it's going to be real painful, um, uh, you, you actually die. Uh, it's all right, I'll bring you back though. Um, and then you'll reign forever. Jesus, Jesus said, God, uh, can we go back uh, through that whole plan? You said something about dying. What, what's that entail? But not only did God willfully send his son, Jesus willfully gave up his life, his position, and his power to go to die for you as well. And the reason he did that was the sole purpose to bring restoration to your relationship with God and to permanently exchange your sin for his righteousness. Think of the worst sin right now in your mind. What would be the worst sin? What's the worst sin that you've committed? Hopefully they're not the same thing in there. <laughs> what would be, what's the worst sin that you've committed? And in for giggles, what's the worst sin that you want to commit in your mind that you thought, if I could get away with that, I would. But I want you to know something, that in all three of those scenarios, Christ died for that. He died for the very worst sin and the very worst person attached to that sin. He died for you, and he died for the worst sin that you believe you've ever committed. He died to help rectify your thoughts and your motives, and your heart. And I want you to know today that, yes, us right now in this moment, we're thinking of the worst sin that we've ever done. But it says in the Scriptures that as far as the east is from the west, God remembers your sin no more. He has no idea what you're even thinking about or what you're talking about when it comes to talking about your sin. He's already forgot it. Let it go and gave it away. All he sees you is through his son. And boy, how do you think he sees his son? Because it says in the scriptures, as he is, so are you on this earth. Jesus died to remove that sin from your life and replace it with righteousness. God's not thinking of those sins anymore, nor does he see them when he looks at you. I wrote this down that Pastor John said in, in one of my notes, Jesus' gift to you is righteousness, and your gift back to Jesus is living a life of holiness, of your, which means sanctification of heart and life. That when we understand that Christ died for our sins, paid a penalty for us, and we accept that in our lives, we are exchanged from sin to righteousness. And in our gift back to Jesus is living a life of holiness. You have to understand that when you go on this journey with Jesus, you're going to have to give up some things. You're going to have to let some fleshly desires go. 
You're going to have to say no to some things and say, you know what, I'm not going to do that anymore. Jesus has touched me too much. He's changed my life too much. He's given too much. He's blessed me too much that I'm going to step away from doing that. Look at this, Romans chapter 12, verse 1. We've heard this scripture before. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God. Now look at this last part of the, the, the sentence which is your reasonable service, which Paul is saying to the church of Rome, this is the least you can do. The least you can do. The bare minimum that you could do. Your reasonable service, which you should just barely do in your Christian walk, is to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. That the penalty that he paid, the price that he paid, gives you a moment. The old Christian song says, Hallelujah, thank you Jesus, Lord you're worthy of all the glory and all of the praise. It makes me want to shout, hallelujah, thank you Jesus, that when you understand and you experience what he's done for you and understanding the simple message of the gospel, it helps you want to go out and do good. Pastor John and Pastor Eric used to always say, if you get so busy focusing on doing the good, you're not going to have time to go out and do the bad. The second part of that scripture and the gospel message is that Christ was buried. Christ died for your sins according to the scriptures and Christ was buried. Many of men throughout history have died for one another. We've seen that in, in movies. We've heard about it in the history books. Men are in war. The enemy throws a grenade into their car, their tent, wherever they're at. And one soldier jumps on it, figuratively and literally bites the bullet. We know as parents that if we saw our child in danger in any way, shape, or form, that we would move our child out of the way for us to take on the brunt of whatever that damage would be. My child goes running into the street and there's a car coming. I'm not going to say, well, you should have figured it out. Good luck. No, I'm going to do all that I can to go and push my child out the way and take on the brunt of that. That we see men dying for other men throughout history. But there's one man who died for all of humanity with the full knowledge, understand this, that Jesus died on that cross fully knowing that not everyone was going to receive the love that he was bringing to the world. If you had an opportunity Come up here and say, if you don't die, then the rest of the people in this room would die. You'd come up and make that sacrifice. If I came up here and said, hey, if you die, half of them are going to hate you, forget about you, make fun of you. All of a sudden, I'm going to take a step back and be like, well, hold on, let me think about this. If, let me put the numbers together. Let me start doing some math. 
at what point does the amount of good people that will trust and believe you overshadow the amount of people that won't believe you and make fun of you and turn away. But Jesus willfully knowing before he even came to this earth that when he came and died that people were going to reject him and he still chose to die. He still chose to be buried for you. You see, Jesus experienced death and burial and eternal separation, something that he never experienced before. He experienced something that he never experienced before so that you could experience something that you've never experienced before. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit, it says in the Scriptures. That's what the kingdom of God is. We have to understand and put it in the front of our mind and understand that the cross and the moment Jesus died on that cross was the most important moment in history. In all of eternity was the most important foundational moment of history. Think about it. At that moment when Jesus dies, nature starts reacting. The sky turns black says there's an earthquake. It says that the earth shakes so violently that people rise from the dead. Nature, earth reacts, humanity reacts in the positive and the negative. The Roman centurion says, surely he was the son of God. It says the Pharisees and the Sadducees stood there looking at Jesus, beating their chest, knowing that they thought they had just defeated the one who was trying to overthrow their religion. As his mother and the disciple whom he loved stood there and wept, humanity reacted. The spirit world reacted. We know because when he died, it says in 1 Peter chapter 3, it talks about how Jesus went in, went down into the pit, and it says that he preached to those who were captive in prison. Imagine if you had died and you're in eternal damnation or you're in Abraham's bosom at that time and this man shows up and starts preaching to you. Nobody else has ever shown up to this place, this separation from God, and started preaching, enduring whatever thing was happening during that time and what do you think Jesus was preaching if I'm Jesus I would think I would be preaching about myself hey have you heard about me my name's Jesus I'm the Messiah and if you believe on me and you believe that I just died on that cross up there and I was just buried in that tomb right there and you wait I don't know 24 to 48 more hours, I'm going to rise from the dead and you can come on with me up to heaven and we can restore that relationship with God. How many of you would say, nope, I'm staying here? Jesus definitely emptied out Abraham's bosom. You can decide if he emptied out the rest of it. Jesus shows up and preaches himself to you. Hey, I'm coming with you. Victory over death, hell, and the grave. There's something about burial. There's a finality in burial, as we know. If we go look at the 
scarecrows here, the, uh, the morticians there. They got that nice big uh, casket just sitting out there. It always freaks me out whenever I pull up to that light because they're just all standing there. There's a finality in burial. That when we go to a funeral and we see somebody in a casket, we see their body there, we close the casket, we bring them to the graveyard, we lower them into the dirt, we put dirt on top of them, we put the headstone on top of them, and then on top of that we put a concrete slab on top of them just to make sure. We're going to make it extra hard when the rapture happens to get out of there. It's a finality in burial. And such is true when it comes to Christ being buried. John chapter 19 verse 30, we see Jesus on the cross and we see the finality that Jesus is talking about. He says, so when Jesus had received the sour wine, he yelled out, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Romans chapter 6 verses 9 through 10 For the death that he died, Jesus died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Verse 11 in Romans chapter 6. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves, listen to the finality of it, to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That the finality of the burial that Jesus is talking about is the burial of your sin, of your shame, of your death. He put that in the tomb. He said, that dies today. It's never coming back. God's not going to remember those anymore. I'm not going to hold against you, those against you anymore. I'm not going to bring them up again. I'm not going to make fun of you about it. That's dead in the grave, but what is coming out is life for you. There's also a different type of beauty in this burial, because we know the gospel says that Christ died for your sins according to the scriptures. He was buried in a tomb, but he rose again the third day, which gives me hope. Because in life, we think that things are dead. We think that a dream inside of us could be dead. We think that a relationship, a marriage, an idea, something inside of us that we've yearned for, a relationship with God because we think we're too far away from Him is dead. But what I love about the gospel message, it doesn't matter how far you think you are, God can still bring the dead back to life. And He's ready and willing. If there's still breath in your lungs in Ecclesiastes, it says, I would rather be a living dog than a dead lion because there is always hope. If there's breath in your lungs, there's always hope. Whatever you think is dead inside of you, God can still revive and bring back to life. And I'm finishing with this. The good part. Christ rose again. You see, I think throughout the church, we have encouraged people to go to the cross. You've heard that message before. We need to go to the cross. We need to go to the cross, but it doesn't seem like it's preached enough that we don't have to stay at the cross. It seems like we have been taught in the past that we need to go to the cross and beg for forgiveness for our sins and stay at that cross for our entire Christian journey. Well, I've got to go back to the cross and pray and ask God, and we've got we to work through this sin. We've got to deal with it, but I want to let you know 
Christ is no longer on that cross. Yes, it's vital at the very beginning of our relationship with God to go to that cross and lay all of our sin, all of our failure, all of our shame, lay it all at the cross because God's already taken care of it. But Christ is risen and he's no longer at that cross. And when he tells his disciples, he doesn't tell them, go back to the cross. He tells them to go into all the world. That it's important that we understand that Christ died for our sins and he was buried. And that we bury and get rid of and give away all of our our sin. So that way we can rise with him and go and live our life in what he has called us to do. After we let the old man die at the cross and be buried, we need to realize that we are born again and now able to live a life that we never had access to before. And unfortunately, some of us as Christians get so caught up in the mindset of, I'm trying to fix myself, I've got to fix myself, I've got to fix myself, that we completely forget about the opportunities to go out and help others and live the life and experience the new covenant that God has for us. Look at 1 Corinthians 15, chapter 10 and 11. But by grace, by the grace of God, I am what I am. I don't know about you, but I can say amen to that. By the grace of God, right now I am what I am. I'm not where I used to be. I'm not where I want to be. But by the grace of God, I am what I am right now. And his grace towards me was not in vain. Thank you, Jesus. But I labored more abundantly Then they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Verse 11, therefore, whether it was I or they, so we preach and so you believe. My last scripture and then I'm concluding. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 16 through 21. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 16 through 21. Therefore, from now on, I don't know where you're at in your Christian walk, I don't know what's going on in your life or what you're doing, but it's the perfect time for you in your mind, in your life, in your spirit, in your relationship to God to start with that statement right there. Therefore, from now on, right now, something's going to be different than what it has been. I'm going to let go of some things. I'm going to start working on holiness and and, and working on moving forward in life. I'm going to believe that God truly has forgiven me of my sins no matter how bad they are. I'm going to believe that he buried them and left them where they are. I'm going to believe that there might be some dreams that have died in the past, but God's going to resurrect them again. I'm going to believe that I'm going to go and trust God and I'm going to start living my life. I'm not going to be held back by my past. I'm going to move forward because if he's alive, then I should be alive because greater is he that's in me than anything that can come against me in the world. Christ came to bring life and life more abundantly. I'm believing that today from now on. We regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Old things have been buried. Sin has been rectified, torn away. Behold, all things are new. If all things are new, that means I'm new. That means my spirit is new. That means my mind is new. That means my emotions are new. The power of the gospel. Verse 18, now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 19, 
That is, what is the ministry of reconciliation? Verse 19 explains it. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself and not imputing, thank you Jesus, their trespasses to them, not putting them back on them, and has committed us to the world of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors. We can't stay at the cross continually worrying about woe is me. It's time for us to go out and be the church. Go out and tell people about who Christ is and what he did for me and what he's done for me and what he's continually to do because you are and I am an ambassador of Christ. And what are we supposed to do as ambassadors of Christ? As though God were pleading through us, we implore to you with everything that we have, everything in our heart, in our desire, we have to learn and understand that we don't hate the person, we don't hate uh, who that person is, but we hate the sin inside of them and we hate the sickness inside of them because we have the answer to bring them out of that sin, to bring them out of that sickness, to bring them out of that bondage. We are ambassadors to Christ, and we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Verse 21, for he made him who knew no sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God. In conclusion, let's wrap it all up. And y'all are thinking, thank God. No matter what stage of life you are in or how long you've been a Christian, I wrote this down, it is important and vital to always remember the simple gospel message. Christ died for your sins according to the scriptures. He was buried in a tomb and rose again the third day. It is the only thing that matters in life. You could have the most money, the most power, the most friends, the most confidence, or you could be the complete opposite. You might have no money, might have no friends, might have no power. Got a great start to a country song, but you might not be anything at all. But the most important thing that you could do in your life is to be reconciled to God. Last thing I wrote, remember when you exchange your sin for his righteousness at his cross and bury your shame, sin, guilt in his tomb that you go out and live the abundant life as a new creation with a new covenant and a new relationship with your God. Family, I want to remind you today, you've been reconciled to your creator and now is the time to enjoy his family benefits and go out and help everyone in your circle of influence and experience to change their day and invite them to their day of reconciliation with their father. The gospel message, remember it. Put it in front of you every moment that you get. Every time you get the opportunity to stand up and share with somebody, the best thing that you can share with them is that Christ died for their sins. That he was buried in a tomb for them, but he rose again the third day so that they too could live in victory and come out on the other side. They don't have to deal with whatever they're dealing with anymore. They can experience him in a brand new light. Let's stand up today as we get ready to head out. As we head out, if you would be so kind to bow your heads and close your eyes. And I'm just going to lead us all in a prayer. Whether we've been saved for many years or not saved at all, now is the time to be reconciled to Christ. Now is the time to remember what he did for us. And that we could just join together and repeat this prayer after me. The prayer 
the words really have no meaning unless you believe it in your heart. You confess outwardly with your mouth in the prayer that we're about to say, and you believe internally, and that is what brings salvation. So if you would join me in repeating after me, Dear Father, I thank you for sending your Son to die for my sins, to be buried in a tomb, and to rise again the third day. Father, I come to your cross today, and I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I choose today to leave my sins buried in your tomb, and I rise today from your cross and your tomb and walk a living life with you. Today, I choose heaven. Today, I choose my Savior. Today, I choose a new path, a new life, a new beginning. Father, thank you that I am born again in a new creation and walking with you in a new relationship. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Father, we just thank you today for your word. We thank you that your word will not return void, but it will accomplish exactly what it's supposed to do in our lives. Father, thank you for the gospel. Father, mankind is not worthy for the grace and the love and the mercy that you've poured out on us. And we're so thankful that you did. We're so thankful that you allowed us Gentiles into your kingdom, allowed us Gentiles into your family. Thank you that you sent your son, that he lived on this earth, and he showed us what a perfect life could look like, what a life of holiness looks like, what a life of overcoming sin and the devil and sickness and disease and all else things that attack us in this world. And it says in the scriptures that as he is, so are we that that same spirit now resides inside of us. So the powers inside of us, I might not be able to do it in my own strength, but with God on my side, it says, who shall I fear? What can any man do to me? And I choose today to go out and experience this new covenant. Go out and experience every blessing and benefit because in you, all the promises of God are yes and amen. Father, we thank you for your gospel message. Father, I thank you for these people, these, this congregation. I thank you for the journey in life that they're on. I thank you that they continually turn to, them, to, turn to you. And the more they turn to you, the more you turn to them. Draw near to God and you will draw near to them. Speak to them. Encourage them. Love them. And take care of them, Father. Father, I lift up the Holler family right now as they are going through this grieving process and pastors literally all over the world as they're preaching this message and sharing stories about this man to their congregations as well. Lord, be with Miss Ann. Bless Miss Ann. Help Miss Ann through this time. Be with Pastor Eric and Pastor Brandon and Pastor Jen and their whole family. Father, just lift them up and protect them and be with them, Father. I ask you to protect these people and keep them safe as they come back next Sunday. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. We love you. We'll see you all next Sunday. Take care, family. Thank you for listening to Press Church Podcast. If you would like more information about us or are interested in giving to our ministry, you can click the link in our bio or visit presschurch.org.
Don't forget to follow us on social media at Press Church SC and have a great week.